would take it as a compliment if someone described the unique, original designs hanging and folded in the Ibu showroom as women's work. Because she says, female artisans and crafters not only keep the world moving, but also make it more beautiful. We stop by her stylishly curated store overlooking King Street in downtown Charleston, South Carolina, as her staff and models prepare for events marking Women's History Month and International Women's Day. Walker, I want to first of all just say thank you and give you an opportunity to talk about some of the exciting events happening during the month of March, which we know we celebrate as Women's History Month. Well, I love being here. Thank you so much. And um, in particular, not just Women's History Month, though we do celebrate that, but we also celebrate International Women's Day on March 8 every year. This is also the launch of our nonprofit, the day that we, uh, we were born, so it's our anniversary. Uh -huh. And so this year we are celebrating that by focusing on Morocco because uh, we have a number of artists and groups there that we've worked with for a number of years. And as you know, there was a devastating earthquake this year. so. Uh, we are in, in particularly reaching out and um, and wanting to really elevate and honor and uh, these women and their craft, which is exquisite. They have this amazing embroidery there that we really want to celebrate. So on March 6th, which is Wednesday, we have an event called A Night in the Medina. And this is, as you know, in Morocco, all those old cities have a ancient walled compound, the really old part of the city, the Medina, and they, it's full of uh, souks and shops and, you know, restaurants and so on. So we're going to create that uh, at the cigar factory in the Cedar Room, and one whole side of it, we'll have all the food and the vendors and the souks, and on the other side, also a new collection that we're launching, designed by Charlotte Moss, uh -huh. interior designer. Wow. And so, uh, and then we'll have a program. We're having a paddle raise to support all of this work. We're a nonprofit, so this is a really great um, occasion for everyone to get a, to a flavor mm -hmm. for the place, meet the artisans, and be able to give to, to the work. It is wonderful to be in a space where we will soon hear the hustle and bustle of models and of course yeah. people who are venturing into Ibu here on King Street in downtown Charleston. So a night in the Medina. Before that though, there's gonna be an amazing conversation with women leaders, people who really provoke thought about how to empower women throughout the world. And this is happening um, in partnership with Charleston Library Society. Yes, Let's and you that. are a central part of that, <laughs> my dear. So at 10.30 on that Wednesday, the 6th, at the Charleston Library Society, which is one of the oldest uh, private libraries in the country, mm -hmm. it's right across the street from our store, we will have an 
International Women's Day uh, panel discussion, thank, thankfully led by you. I, uh, I really appreciate you moderating it. And we will have Charlotte Moss, who is the designer I just mentioned, who will be here and has really known for her philanthropic work and working with women. We will have uh, Dwight Bush, who is the ambassador to Morocco, mm -hmm. and he uh, certainly is very familiar with the women's issues there. We have Kate Nevin, who has a um, investment fund, particularly for and by women. We have Ann Weston from the uh, who is the head uh, mistress at Ashley Hall, so dedicated to women's and girls' education. We have Marianne Lou Martin, who is a hotelier in Marrakesh and a dear friend of mine for many years, who works with women in that area. And uh, all of these will get together, and you've got some great questions for them to really think about. How do we really reach out and celebrate and support women around the world whose circumstances are very different from our own? If someone were to walk into this store right now, mm. what would they see? Oh my goodness, they would see goods, women's clothing, jewelry, gifts, some tableware, things that are all completely handmade handmade by women artisans around the world because we are really wanting to not only put money in the hands of women but to preserve these crafts that they have kept alive for many many generations and as many of uh, in many cases are in danger of going extinct mm -hmm. we want to save those crafts because they are like a cultural language in a way that is passed down from mother to daughter and um and so you will see uh, jackets from Morocco with soutache mm -hmm. embroidery. You'll see felting from Kyrgyzstan. You'll feel beading from Kenya. You'll see uh, 50, 50 countries uh, we work with in over 100 different groups, so lots of different techniques. Each one has a story, and you'd see all of that right here. You know what's interesting, Susan, is you were kind enough to allow me to wear um, a felt dress from Kyrgyzstan um, during the Southeastern Wildlife Expo. And I can tell you, wearing that dress, knowing it was made by hand, it felt different. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. No, I do love hearing that yeah. because there is soul in these pieces. Mm -hmm. Women have spent hours working on them. They have not just it's not just the time it's what it means to them and to their history and what they're so proud of these different traditions as they should be and it's also earning an income for them which is amazing uh in some of these circumstances it's their only option they have skills and that's the thing i love about this work the women we work with have these skills already they've been you know, passed down to them, but they have never been recognized as income producing. Mm -hmm. So when they are paid for them, it's a game changer. When I think about what you're describing right now, I think about the, the word Ibu. Yes. That it, you know, that that's probably what you're describing, how that word came about in terms of describing this movement. You know, I was in Indonesia when I heard that word. It's a Malay word, which uh, the Malay language is spoken there, and um, it means mother, mm -hmm. but it also means any woman of respect, almost like we use the word ma'am. Mm -hmm. So it could be your teacher or your auntie or um, just, you know, a woman who you respect. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want 
all of the artisans that we work with to feel that kind of self-respect mm -hmm. and the respect of those people in their communities. And that is actually what happens when, when women begin to get together, form these cooperatives, create these beautiful things, and then be paid for them. And so that they are supporting families, they are sending their daughters and sons to school, and uh, the whole community begins to thrive, they become leaders. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you know, I have heard them speak of their own stories where now say they're running for public office mm -hmm. and they're really changing their worlds, this world of ours, but changing it one village at a time. Mm -hmm. Just doing my research to, for this conversation, I learned a lot that I had not known. One, of course, is that you are Harvard-trained, a minister, and then we see you in this other, or it seems like a different space with all this luxury and beauty around. So I'm just wondering, what sparked your passion to highlight and to lift women in this way? You know, even when I was in divinity school, I uh, studied uh, women's studies. I've always just had a passion, I think. One of the reasons is that my, my uh, family that I grew up in, my father was a theologian, and he, was, uh, had, he had a beautiful mind and was very um, verbal. He wrote, he spoke. Mm -hmm. But my mother had a sewing room in the basement without any windows, and she made beautiful clothes for me, for her, and I was never paid for them. And my father was a celebrated uh, figure, and my mother was a quiet, behind-the-scenes person. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, as I sort of entered into this work and this movement, that I'm really bringing my mother out of the basement, mm. you know? I'm really saying to mm -hmm. my father and to the rest of the world, what she's doing here has value, too. Mm -hmm. She has created beauty, she has created warmth and safety and, you know, more than just clothing. And her nonverbal um, language uh, in clothes and in textiles and uh, all that she brought is also valuable, uh, as much so as his beautiful words. So I think that's really uh, part of what led to this. And also just seeing how resourceful women are, so really strong, resilient, ambitious women all around the world. If they are just given you know, a place to put their, their foot on the first rung of the ladder, they are off. You know, they, they can take it the rest of the way. That, that's really beautiful, the way you describe that. Your, your ministry before Ibu, um, can you describe that? Well, how would we have seen you if we met you during that time? Yes, I was a congregational minister in uh, a church. Both I was in Maine. I was a chaplain at a women's psychiatric hospital in San Francisco. And then I came here, was at the Circular Church in Charleston. And so you would have seen me uh, at the pulpit. I was, uh, you know, delivering sermons. I was working in counseling with individuals during the week. I was leading youth groups and Sunday school teachers uh, training and and uh, what I loved best about that work was being with people at those pivotal moments in their life mm -hmm. and uh, it was really an honor to be there as 
as lives were born and as they as they passed away and as they were married together and mm-hmm. you know just the many ways that um, a minister can be led into to the lives of people when they are seeking to make meaning of what's going on around them. Did your ministry evolve into a new kind of ministry and you knew that there was more for you to do and a new ministry that you were able to deliver? That's exactly right. Some people look at my life and think that it took these uh, very strange turns, you know, different, mm-hmm. different angles and moves. But in fact, internally, it feels very much that I was following a thread. Right. And uh, that at some point I felt really called to, to take those same concerns in a very creative arena. And so what Ibu allows me to do is, is still have the same uh, passion for elevating people and really um, respecting the many diverse and beautiful ways in which we are human. Uh, but to do it in a creative way and in a very tangible way. You know, clothes, textiles, it's a material world, but it's infused with soul and meaning and purpose. And I love that those two worlds come together here, the, the world of, of soul, meaning, spirit, and just the world of our everyday lives, the clothes we put on. Mm-hmm. And, and you were trained. You went to SCAD. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I did. I, when I made this change, I dove right in completely. It was like going back to kindergarten. I mean, uh-huh. I had to start all over because I didn't know anything about how to work with, with threads, with material. And, uh, and I learned. And so I first learned how to dye, you know, natural dyes on fabrics, and then how to print and all, all of the things that you can do to mm-hmm. fabric. And then finally, I learned how to weave. So I got a loom, I sat at the loom, learned how to warp and weft and, and really build cloth. And as I was doing that, I felt this connection with women throughout history who have, because women often have been the ones creating cloth. Mm-hmm. We, we don't take that seriously now because everything is manufactured, but it took a lot of time to create cloth, you know, from growing the flax and the linen and wetting it and, and then spinning it and then weaving it. And I think women spend as much time at that as men did in agriculture, growing food to eat, and children were safe around them, so it was sort of a natural activity. And um, so anytime you spend that much time doing something, you infuse it with meaning, symbols. And so I found it really rich that women have this. There's a lot of stories that are layered into cloth. So yes, I was trained and I loved weaving for a while. I did installation pieces and so on. And then I met women who were better at weaving than I would ever be. <laughs> so I thought I would rather find a market. I mean, it's in their blood and their bones, right. and you know. So that you started with, did the travel come first and you met some of these artisans and, and learn more about their lives and, you know, truly just how difficult it can be for them to sustain their families and to support their families. How, how did that happen? As I was studying textiles, I was traveling also and and uh, going particularly to sort of traditional textile rich centers in India or in Central America or South America or in Africa. 
where there was these great traditions. That's just where I was drawn to, to visit. And then, yes, there I did meet and I saw, not only was I looking for old textiles because I love them, but I met women who could still make them. And I thought, oh, that's when the question really came. Are you going to keep, you know, um, selling and offering old textiles? Or are you going to put your weight and your vote with these women who can still make it? And that, yeah, that was very clear. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I said, Ibu is about women who are still, um, who still carry these traditions and can change their lives with their skills if we can just find a market for them. And that that's why the store, the website, all of that is so important because it is providing a marketplace for them. Without that, it doesn't do much good, mm -hmm. you know, to help them with their, you know, we, we have programs where we help renovate or build workspaces and give offer business training, all of that. But they have to have, in the end, a marketplace. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do you measure your impact on these artisans and, and, and their families? First of all, we have the numbers of growth right. within these different groups. So over the past 10 years, we've worked with you know, almost 200 different groups. And uh, the, the 100 groups that we now work with currently, we follow. We know as they are able to add in more women into their fold. And we're, we've had this capital campaign going on where uh, we're raising $2 million to be able to double that impact in the next year. So we want to impact 200,000 women. And, uh, you know, with that exponentially, you know, every woman who has income, um, she is usually responsible for about 10 family members. Mm -hmm. Because in many parts of the world, you know, families live together. So, you know, two million people is this is the reach that we want to succeed in impacting uh, in the next ten years. So, uh, so how we determine our impact is both through those numbers, but it's also anecdotally because we visit these groups, we take people who are interested in going with us. We have a fringe road uh, <laughs> adventure travel program because. Our allies tell us we want to go meet these people, wow. so we take them. We follow up. Uh, we have a staff person who is responsible for overseeing all of their needs, and the uh, you know we give grants every year for these different needs as they arise. Sometimes they just need lights, uh, or they you know, or they need sewing machines, or more significantly, they need a workspace mm -hmm. or or training and uh and then in visiting we learn we listen we bring them here like this week we'll have these uh artisan leaders coming here and we really sit down we design with them we talk to them and learn what they're experiencing well let's back up just a little bit tell me some of the countries you visited and i know that there are many but i just want to hear yes. you roll off some of the names <laughs> Let's just start with the ones where we've taken Fringe Road because okay. we went to Kenya and in all across northern Kenya, an amazing group of women, uh, Samburu beaders and lots of different uh, groups there that are doing beautiful beadwork. Then we have also gone to Colombia where there's 
it's one of the most diverse countries in the world. So many different indigenous groups are there. They each have amazing uh, traditions, very different from each other. Uh, we have taken, uh, we're, oh, we're going this fall to Uzbekistan, mm -hmm. uh, where they do amazing ikat fabric. Um, when I was there before, we also went to Kyrgyzstan. I love going to India, of course, Turkey, where there's many uh, different uh, skills, Peru, um, Mexico, Guatemala. Um, we're about to do some program in Ethiopia, South Africa, Niger. Um, yes, uh, so, and on through the stands too, and into, um, uh, you know, just through Central Asia, there's so much beautiful work there. You know, we don't have groups in Europe, that's not really uh, part of our program. This is mostly what we call the Global South. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, uh, you know, there's just, there's so much wealth there mm -hmm. of uh, skill and and women. When you visit um, some of the homes of the artisans and, and some of these villages, what is the reaction to you? Well, most of these trips, I'm going to visit women that we may have already begun to work with. So they know that I am bringing work and, uh, and possibility. So you could say it's it's a beautiful reception. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you one of my most uh, treasured stories was uh, when I went to back to this group in Kenya. I had visited the year before and when I returned with others in the Fringe Road travel, um, you know, they said, Susan, you came, you, you met us. But the difference is uh, you came back. You came back and you brought your friends. You told our story. And uh, I, um, you know, when, when we arrived, the whole group that had gathered began to play music and surround us like a, just a wave. They enveloped us and um, singing and they dressed me. And it was, uh, it was so beautiful that I was just in tears. Oh, uh, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I imagine when you talk about the groups of, of mostly women mm -hmm. who you take along in these Fringe Road adventures, how, how does it change oh. them? What is their reaction once they've had this experience? I imagine that some may go thinking, I'm going on vacation. You know, that that may be the mindset of some, but once they are actually meeting people and in these homes and watching the work happen and the relationships building, mm -hmm. that it becomes something different. It's life-changing. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I have heard travelers say that because um, you just enter into someone else's world. Um, the, the, trip that we took to Morocco, we sat down with the women and they showed us, they taught us how they make their little uh, buttons, tiny little Moroccan buttons that go down the front of a jacket. And we all had our hand at it. And just watching people, even though there was a language barrier, but being able to interact in that way and then to sit down at their table as they served us lunch um, and, and just to see the reciprocity that happens is so beautiful because it's not, you know, Ibu is not about going to help the poor women in India. It, it, they are helping us too. You know, they're, it's an exchange. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I love that. So people who go and visit really 
are extremely moved and that's a beautiful way to get them involved. What do you believe is the significance, Susan, of building these cross-cultural connections? What's the significance of it in, in the overall scheme of life? Why is this so important, do you think? World peace. It's really building world peace, one exchange at a time. The more we know each other and understand each other's life situations, know each other's families, the harder it is to blow each other up. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the people you have brought into the Ibu movement, names that are recognizable, such as Ali McGraw, and there are many others, and you've called some of this. Why is this important to you? Oh, I've just been so fortunate because uh, from the first moment that we started, uh, we've just managed to attract people who want to be a part of the movement. And so I haven't had to work very hard. They've come to me. So Ali McGraw um, just learned about Ibu and was curious because she's always loved artisan work. She uh, is, you know, a wonderful sort of bohemian dresser mm-hmm. herself, mm-hmm. has a great sense of style. And her parents, it turns out, were both in the arts and design. And so it gave her, she designed collections for us, and that gave her the opportunity to kind of use that muscle. And she had so much fun doing it. We had fun doing it with her. And then for her to actually model and wear some of her own creations was really something she loved doing. She was here last year for our show and walking the runway was so beautiful. And uh, Charlotte Moss the same way. I think it is a way uh, to give people who who have you know a following but really want something deeply meaningful Mm -hmm. uh, for themselves. Iris Apfel, the Mm -hmm. now 102-year-old style icon with the round glasses. Everyone knows her. Yes, Yes, she is one of our ambassadors as well. And uh, I think it just, you know, for us, it allows us to get the story out, the message. Mm -hmm. And we want as many people to know about it as possible. So, you know, these um, ambassadors all have great followings and people listen when they when they speak mm-hmm. and so it's a way to to spread the word we keep saying ibu movement you you hear that you see it places if someone is new to this idea how do you very simply explain to them what the ibu movement is yes the ibu movement is women all over the world rising into self uh, sufficiency, financial self-sufficiency through the art of their own hands. So by that I mean it is uh, women who have skills that we are putting to use in meaningful work and remuneration. So they are becoming self-sufficient and because of that they have choices. They have choices in life. And so the Ibu movement is women in this country also supporting and you know, uh, through through the marketplace and through contributions because of our nonprofit uh, status, the this whole work and how women can be what I think the resource that the world needs. You know, when women have uh, income, they have a voice, and then they're able to speak out and lead in their communities. I think we need new leadership, and that women, particularly in in this global South have the resources that the world needs right now. Mm-hmm. How can someone get involved? Could first go to our website, mm-hmm. 
ibumovement.org. And there you will see both events like the one next week. I would so love have people uh, to, to come. I think maybe we have just five or six tickets left yeah. and they were sold out. <laughs> but also um, you'll see there stories about all these artisan groups. Um, you'll see this U.S. Department of State grant that is helping us, that we received to help work with a group in Afghanistan. And you'll see uh, ways that you can contribute. There's To donate is always so welcome. But come to the store if, mm-hmm. you're, in, if you're in Charleston. I mean, come here and see, learn for yourself, touch, uh, shop. You, we're really a great place to buy gifts, even mm-hmm. if it's uh, not something you, that you're gonna wear. For men, they love to come here and buy gifts. Um, and then follow us. If you sign on the uh, homepage at the bottom, for uh, sign up for our emails, I, you will not regret it. We mm-hmm. send out stories each week about the different groups that I hear people actually really love to read. Right. And um, the stories are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good to have some inspiration in right. your in your email mm-hmm. box, uh, your inbox, and also on social media at Ibu Movement because you can get the most up to date mm-hmm. things going on there. Um, in Charleston Magazine, there's a cover story, ten pages on. And you are the cover uh, yes, girl. Yes, yes. What the cover girl? That must have been. You look phenomenal. That must have been so much fun. It was fun, and oh and, gosh, and it was quite so a surprise. Striking. Quite a surprise. It's amazing. But even more important is the article inside, written right. by Stephanie Hunt. Ten pages that really tell the whole story of the. Stephanie's Ibn-Ibn. amazing. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah. She's on your board. Yes, she yeah, was our she was yeah. our president. Mm-hmm. She's gone off the board now, mm-hmm. but she was wonderful. She was our first president uh-huh. and really amazing. Yeah, you really do prove through what I observe and what I've been a part of, that it really takes a village. And this is such a strong village of people. And it keeps growing. It is. And that is it. We are in that growth mode right now. Mm -hmm. We have an amazing team that works here of women that are covering everything from the whole storytelling, community engagement, Mm -hmm. the fundraising, the design. We design with these uh, different women's groups and then all of the production that is overseeing the artisan projects, the showroom, the uh-huh. website there is a wonderful energy here and people mm-hmm. everyone on our team works so hard but really cares about the work and the mission mm-hmm. and you can see it every day uh, in what they give into it again the month of march is women's history month but march 8th is international women's day and so we are celebrating it big time thanks in part to all that you're doing here in our community. So remind people again about the events that are coming up in March. Yes, the ones you want to remember here are March 6th, which is Wednesday, Mm -hmm. 10.30 in the morning at the Charleston Library Society on King Street, where Carolyn Murray will be moderating a panel to really look at the issues facing women globally with some real star power on that panel to to address those issues. And then that evening at 6.30 at the Cedar Room, if you can snag a ticket, <laughs> a if night, you know someone. <laughs> I, I think, well, I think it's worth a trip to the website yeah. uh, because there are just a couple left and a night at the Medina to really uh, see this new collection from Charlotte Moss and 
experience the artisans who are coming to speak to us and uh, and have a great time. It's gonna yeah. be a fun party. Susan Walker, what a pleasure to sit across from you and to be in your beautiful space and to hear all the amazing things that you are doing in this world. I mean, you really are changing lives. We are so grateful for your leadership and your kindness and the beauty that you are encouraging in the world in every way. Right back at you, well, sister. Thank you. I you. It, it is my joy. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.